morning. You may be seated. I'm not sure why I'm amazed by it, but I'm always concerned about will I say what needs to be said? Will all the pieces need to be, will they be laid out properly? Um, this morning already, I have heard my sermon preached, prayed, and sung by you saints. I am grateful, very grateful for that. Um, I bring you greetings from Waco Family Baptist Church, uh, where I have the honor and the privilege to serve as a deacon, excuse me, <clears throat> a deacon for uh, the Lord's people and the Lord's church. Um, and from time to time, they give me the opportunity to preach, which I try not to pass upon. Um, there's always great gain when you have the opportunity to sit and study, when when the concern is, will I know enough to share with everyone else? And the truth of it is, it's, it's almost selfish in the sense that I get so much more from the study than I'm able to share with you. Um, but it forces, it forces us to, to read and to understand and to hopefully get closer to our Lord and Savior. Um, I'm thankful to be here. So we'll be in Titus chapter 3 uh, today. Um, a little more than a year ago, our Sunday school began lessons, began a study of First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, the, the pastoral epistles. We know that these epistles come to Timothy and Titus from the Apostle Paul. You can see on the pages throughout these books the pastoral heart, the genuine care and concern that Paul has for these men who have been called in their youth to be leaders, teachers, and above all, preachers of the word of God. They have been called to set in order their congregations, to appoint elders, to develop leadership from within the church, to exhort, to strongly encourage brothers and sisters in the faith with truth, with sound doctrine of which these men have been entrusted, to rebuke false teachers, to train up current and future generations to be godly, and while themselves being men full of respect, integrity, dignity, and sound moral character, that the word of God may not be reviled, being known as a model for good works. So again, today our focus text is Titus chapter 3. The first two words of chapter 3 are remind them. And when I studied this passage, I came to understand that these two words at, were the recurring theme of this chapter. You see, everything here in these verses that we are working through today have already been laid out throughout the entirety of the letter. We're not going to encounter anything new. What I do hope, that we see is how important it is to be reminded, not just here in the chapter, not just today in the sermon, but constantly over and over again throughout our lives of the importance of the truth of God. These are the types of things we must preach to ourselves. These are the types of things we must pray about and pray for others, our families, 
our friends and our congregations. Isn't it wonderful that Christ gave his church the Lord's Day, one in seven, that we could be reminded of the glorious truth of his gospel? We need to be reminded of our faults and failures, our sins. We also need to be reminded of his grace, his mercy, the call to repentance and faith, and the gift of salvation. We need to understand that the things we will review in these verses are not just for the good of us as individual Christians, but for all people. So again, I titled today's sermon, Remind Them. Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for today. We ask you to give us hearts that are even more thankful, that are more grateful for the Lord's Day, for the gathered body, uh, your church, for the opportunity to sing praises to you, to pour out our prayers to you, that you have made a way to hear those prayers, that you perfect those prayers. Father, we're thankful for like-minded saints who understand that this world is not our home, that we go through these trials, but that it is your word, it is you using creation, the things that are ordinary for something supernatural, for the expansion of your kingdom. Father, we ask that you give us ears to hear, that you give us hearts that are affected by the truth of your word, that we gain understanding, and we ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus, your son. Amen. So I'll admit to you that when um, I decided I wanted to do Titus, it was because we had recently gone through Sunday school. I mentioned that already. And I, I got to teach through this chapter in Sunday school. So I had 10 pages of notes, and I was like, oh, this sermon's written itself. And it's like, wait a minute. This is, oh, no, there's a lot to add. There's a lot of takeaway. There's a lot to, of repeats going on. But I want to just work through uh, these eight verses that we've read um, through um, what my Sunday school notes had gone through. And, and hopefully I won't 
lose you. <laughs> Verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now, there are many in our day, as I'm sure there's always been, that do not get warm and fuzzy feelings at the thought of being submissive to rulers and authorities. We know from Scripture that the hearts of men are wicked. There are warnings for those who abuse power, but here we have a warning and a command that we are to be peaceable with those who govern over us. From the New Testament, we have seen how rulers and authorities treated Christ and his apostles, how they later treated Paul and those who traveled with him. We see that these rulers and authorities were abusive to those who would share the good news. But here in this first part of the verse, Paul is not saying to Titus something like, we have a reason to be disobedient. Rather, Paul is reminding Titus of a truth. Romans 13.1 reads, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 3 reads, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. That we, may be, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now, just a moment ago, I referred to the statement as a command in Scripture. I don't think anyone would doubt that statement. A plain reading of the text states, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. To expand on the statement, and its intended meaning, I will refer to the Baptist Catechism. Let us consider what we understand about the teaching of the moral law of God and how the catechism questions and answers help make this statement easier to understand. Um, so in the catechism, question 68, what is the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is honor thy father and thy mother, that the, thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. What is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requireth the preserving, the honor, and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. Question 70, what is forbidden in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment forbiddeth the neglect of or doing anything against the honor and duty which belongeth to everyone in their several, several places and relations. And question 71, what is the reason annexed to the fifth commandment? The reason annexed to the fifth commandment is a promise of long life and prosperity as far as it shall serve for God's glory and their own good to all such as keep this commandment. So when Paul urges Titus to remind them to be submissive, he's making an appeal to the moral law of God as he is doing throughout all of his teachings, being faithful to what Christ taught and who God is. Now, in the commentaries I read while studying, just being submissive isn't enough. The apostle also writes to be obedient. We are here speaking of an inward obedience, a willing heart. Matthew Henry's commentary states, Magistry is God's ordinance for the good of all. 
and therefore must be regarded and submitted to by all, not for wrath and by force only, but willingly and for conscience sake. Again, we should consider this moral law, the fifth commandment that we reviewed, honor thy father and thy mother. Is your child being obedient? When, they, when you tell them to take out the trash or to wash the dishes and the whole time they're carrying out the command, they are upset with you, they're mocking you, making a poor and half-hearted attempt at the duty, is that being willingly obedient? To be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient is to do so willingly. The verse continues, to be ready for every good work. For contrast, Here's a quick review of how false teachers are described in Titus chapter 1. Verse 10 says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. Verse 15, the latter half reads, But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. And verse 16 continues, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable disobedient, unfit for any good work. Titus 3 reads, to be ready for every good work. Paul is telling Titus to remind them that they are called to have the opposite characteristics of empty talkers and deceivers. They, and also we, are called to be ready for every good work. Why? For what reason should the people of God be ready for every good work. If you look here in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it reads, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Christian, be ready for every good work because you are not to be like the unbeliever, the insubordinate, detestable, unfit, because you are a people whom Christ has redeemed for his own possession. That means you belong to him so that you may be a people who are zealous for good works. You must have the desire to be willingly obedient, and you must cultivate a desire to be zealous for good works. Verse 2 continues, to speak evil of no one in terms of slander or gossip. We are to speak evil of no one. I'm going to go to the book of Proverbs and read from chapter 6, starting in verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, 
and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that desires, devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. We are talking about insults and abuse. It's like Paul is writing to us here again, remind them, we just spoke of of the moral law concerning rulers and authorities. Here we can see the implications of the summary of the second table, love your neighbor as yourself. Speaking evil and gossip about others only sows discord and reveals the status of your own heart. Now look and see the next few verses here in Proverbs, how it provides the answer for us, starting in verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Still in Titus chapter 3, verse 2, to avoid quarreling. The NASB would read to be peaceable. And the KJV reads, to be no brawlers. First Timothy, Timothy 3 tells us not to be violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome when speaking of the qualifications for elders and deacons. Likewise, Second Timothy 2 tells us, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. And I hope that we understand that when we see these, these qualifications, these implications of who elders and deacons should be, we should also understand that these characteristics belong to all who belong to God and who we should strive to be. And the scripture here goes next, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people, to show perfect courtesy. The NASB reads, showing every consideration. And the KJV reads, showing all meekness unto all men. These words, every consideration, all meekness, these are variations of perfect, a wholeness, a complete act. William Hendrickson writes in his New Testament commentary on Titus, showing some mildness, that is meekness, courtesy, showing some mildness towards some people, might not be so difficult, nor showing all, that is complete, thorough, ongoing, nor showing all mildness to some people, or some mildness to all people. But to show all mildness to all people, even to all those cretin liars, evil brutes, and lazy bellies, See, Titus 1.12 was an assignment impossible of fulfillment apart from God's special grace. For any of us to show this type of consideration, this type of caring, we must admit to ourselves that God's special grace is necessary. This is a call to prayer. 
We must pray for God's special grace if we are to put aside the selfish desires of our own heart that would have us turn away from being kind to others. Not just those who deserve it, not just those whom we are comfortable around, but to all whom we are in contact with in our lives. Our God commands this of his people. Verse 3, it's not written like this, but in my head it starts out. Remind them. Again, who we all once were. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We must view the unbeliever as ourselves, as who we once were, apart from the special grace of God. For we, who is we here in the, in the writing? For we, ourselves, Paul, Titus, the believers at Crete, you and me without God are the foolish. Who are the foolish according to Scripture? Psalm 14.1 reads, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. Proverbs 1.7 reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And here Paul reminds us that we too were once foolish. The words here in this verse, disobedient. Ephesians 2 reads, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is who we once were. Slaves. In John 8.34, Jesus says, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Malice. Wickedness. Depravity. Proverbs 1.11 reads, If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. Envy. Resent of others. Covetousness. Proverbs 14.30 reads, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Outside of the grace of God, these are the characteristics of who you and I once were. Hated by others and hating one another. Even if we may struggle to find, find examples of this hate within ourselves, whether past or present, we can turn to the news and see endless examples of hate in a godless world. Apart from God, this is who men will be and what men will do. We've already been mentioning looking to the moral law of God with all these examples of our breaking of the commandments were we loving our neighbors. We loved our sin, and we were haters of God. Why should we show what the KJV reads, all meekness unto all men, 
perfect courtesy, says the ESV, every consideration. We've already read 2 Timothy 2. I'm reading a lot of things over again. Again, this chapter 3 starts with remind them. And when I got up here to begin with, I said it, it seems like the entire sermon's already been preached because this is the word of God. This is the truth of God. 2 Timothy 2, 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Why should we show every consideration? Because God may perhaps grant them repentance. Jude 1, 22 and 23, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I'm going to try to piece something together here. 1 Corinthians 6 starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So Titus 3.4 reads, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let me continue in Corinthians. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Who we were, why we should be who God calls us to be. In verse 4, it reads, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, <clears throat> how were we described? Wicked, envious full of hate, how is God described as having goodness and loving kindness? Remember, it is goodness and loving kindness that Paul reminds Titus must be shown to rulers and authorities. It's goodness and loving kindness that are necessary for the good works we are called to do. It's goodness and loving kindness we must show towards all people, for we were once lost, for we were once haters of God the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior. Verse 5 reads, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. For good works, which God prepared beforehand. He saved us. Titus 3 continues by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When we speak of washing, we speak of a spiritual washing. He has washed away our unrighteousness. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it as white as snow. And in regeneration, we're speaking of a spiritual regeneration, a new birth. The Holy Spirit makes you a new man. He gives you a new heart. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Remember verse 5, he saved us. Verse 4 lists God the Father as our Savior. Verse 5 tells us of the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And here in verse 6 we read, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Here we see a purposeful declaration of the triune nature of God in salvation. And in verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So there's two words here I want to go to our confession for a deeper explanation. So that being justified, we might become heirs. The first is justified. In our confession, chapter 11, paragraph 4, it reads, God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect. And Christ did, in the fullness of time, die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them. And for heirs, we look to chapter 12 of adoption. All those that are justified, God vouchsafed in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of children of God. Have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace, with boldness are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. The doctrine of adoption is, I know they all go together, but that's one of my favorites. I've said this before, for someone who's ever felt like there are times there are places where you don't belong to understand that God has sent his son to make you an heir with Christ. There's, there's no more comfort or assurance uh, that I can find in those things. Verse 8, back in Titus 3, 
The saying is trustworthy. These verses we've just covered, verses 4 through 7, are a gospel summary. And the gospel is indeed trustworthy. And Paul is here telling Titus, I want you to insist on these things. There are at least two things going on here that I want us to take note of. First, what Paul says to Titus, note the powerful wording, I want you to insist. It is obvious here that Paul is making an appeal to the authority that comes from Christ. This gospel summary in verses 4 through 7 are laying out for us whose goodness, whose loving kindness, who saved us, right? It's his mercy, that of God the Father. It's the Holy Spirit's washing of regeneration and renewal applied effectually to us. It's Christ who was able to give these things to us so that we may be brought in to the hope of eternal life. And second, what is being insisted upon on these things? In short, it's obedience. It's discipline. All these things we've been reviewing in this chapter. It is our reasonable service to live the way that God, who has saved us, commands us to live. And why? Still in verse 8, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. To insist upon these things, to insist upon the truth of the gospel being shared, being taught, being proclaimed, Paul warns Titus that those who have believed must be careful. That is to give heed, to take thought about these things, that they may be reminded to carry themselves and to conduct themselves in the manner which God sees fit. These things are not suggestions. We are to devote ourselves to good works because these things are excellent and profitable for people. We read from the ending verses, uh, we, we read from the ending verses of chapter 2 earlier to answer why we must be ready for every good work. But now I want to visit those verses again where we can see the same truth in verses 4 through 7 being written plainly here in chapter 3, an appeal to holy living, a summary of the gospel, a command based upon an appeal to the authority that comes from Christ. Again, chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And when we get right there to the end of chapter 2 and we begin chapter 3, we see how Paul addresses Titus about these things, this appeal to holy living, this summary of the gospel, this command based on the appeal of authority. He starts in chapter 3, verse 1, with remind them. I know we're covering the same ground over and over, but to me it's, it's fun. I hope you've been following this. Um, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, 
which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Paul wrote this letter to Titus for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Knowledge of the truth accords with godliness. Holy living accords with understanding who God is and that he has given you a gift. He has set you apart as his people. And you are not to live as those who remain lost in sins and trespasses. You are to be a people who remain zealous for good works, to be devoted to good works, who patiently endure evil, that the word of God may not be reviled, so that an opponent may have nothing evil to say about us, so that an opponent may receive grace by God, our Savior, granting them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Chapter 3 has touched on the whole of the letter in terms of warnings, commands, in terms of Christian witness, in terms of who our Savior expects his children to be. And I believe we've touched on much more than that through all these different passages of Scripture in consideration, again, of the hymns, of the reading readings today. All of this, to me, seems to have gone together beautifully. Christian, you and I are without excuse. Scripture plainly proclaims who his people are to be. Obedient, willingly submissive, for our good and for the good of others. And for those without Christ, Jesus still saves. He is our Redeemer. He turns sinners into saints not by their works, but by his own. The Father has poured out his wrath onto the Son for all who would believe, so that they might receive pardon instead of judgment. Put a one final reading. From the book of Acts. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you give us hearts that are willingly obedient, that we understand small truths in Scripture are actually giant truths, expounded, over and over again. We ask that we not be foolish people who overlook these things, 
if we could start the entire service over again and see the call to new hearts, the ability to approach the throne in prayer because your son has made a way for us to do that, to avoid the coming judgment, to look forward to a new heavens and a new earth. Father, we pray that we, we may dwell on these things, that we may take them with us as we go out into the world, that we be a people zealous for good works. Not because you need them, not because they earn us anything, but because it is commanded by you as who your people should be. Father, we ask that you give us more of your spirit to convict us of our laziness and to give us that push we need to move forward. We ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus, your son, for your kingdom's sake. Amen.